It's that time again. Mitch Michaels here. Time for another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. If you don't know, or if you're new to the show, this is a sports podcast. We keep it light. I'm delighted to have you with me as we cover a lot of different topics in the world of sports. Later on in the show, I'm going to have Brandon Marcus, good friend of mine, the host of the Mostly Banner podcast, to break down all the NBA free agent acquisitions, a lengthy discussion on NBA free agency and their offseason. But up first, it's Crystal Rich. Crystal and I have known each other for a few years working at the NFL Network. I spoke with her on one of the very first episodes of this series way back in October on the Money Mitch Effect when we broke down her journey. She was working in the East Coast for a TV station out there. Now she's working in Sacramento, Good Day Sacramento on a CBS affiliate. We're going to talk about the journey, what her new routine is like, how she balances being serious and being uh, entertaining on some of her pieces, even getting in the water a little bit. I'm going to have to question her on that and also Philly sports because you know we got to talk Sixers whenever she's on the show. But it's Crystal Rich and Brandon Marcus on today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Let's rock and roll. All right, now with us on the Money Mitch Effect, my friend and yours hopefully out there listening back again from Good Day Sacramento, Crystal Rich. Crystal, thanks for joining the show again. Money Mitch, hello. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been a while. Now you're an official uh, reoccurring guest, so you know you're back. You're, you've made it. You know, congratulations on all your accolades, but this might be the biggest one. Um, but thank you. <laughs> but it, the last time we talked was you know a while ago, right when the show was getting started. You know, and you were. I know, and now you're full blown. I, hey, you know what? Thank you, but this isn't about me. This is about you. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I'm trying to remember what month it was. I think it was last like October, maybe. That sounds about right. And uh, you, yeah, time. Yeah, it really does. It's crazy when you think about it. But you were reporting in the Del Mar area for a TV station, and uh, you decided to come back to the West Coast. You came back to L.A. We were here for a little bit doing some freelance stuff and then landing a gig at Good Day Sacramento. So if you could, you know, just walk me through what the thought process was. You you had a, a pretty solid job out on the East Coast, but the decision to, you know, come back out here and, and try for something else. Yeah, well, you know, I... I guess I really just fell in love with California and I never thought I would be the one to do that because right out of college, I did not want to move to Cali, not at all. I wanted to move down south or somewhere up north like New York, but never out west. Came right out of here, out of college, got a job at the NFL Network. That's where I met you. Um, I left and Mitch, I don't know. I was just like, I need to get back to Cali. (laughs) I think without even knowing it, I became a Cali girl. And I had a really cool job on the East Coast where I'm from. I got to report on the Philadelphia Eagles, the Baltimore Ravens, the Washington Redskins, high school football, collegiate football, basketball, all kinds of sports. So that was really fun, as well as anchor news. So it was awesome, but I really just had that desire to come back to the West Coast, so here I am, made it happen. Yeah, and you know, what's interesting about that is um, you'd mentioned, I remember we had talked before, and you'd mentioned that you always saw yourself coming back to California because that, that first run, <laughs> you really did fall in love with it. But at least for me, I, I wasn't sure that it would be you know as quickly as that. But you, you came back here, and it was almost, would you say, Crystal, a leap of faith? I mean, you, you had a lot of experience. Oh. You, you put your reps in. But, you know, it was a little risky coming back so soon, and uh not knowing exactly where you would go. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a leap of faith. And I'm never really someone who was scared to take a leap of faith. If I really believe or really want to do something, then I'm just the type that goes out and tries to make it happen by, you know, whatever way I have to do it. Just my nickname growing up, by the way, was Hustler. So I think by my parents calling me that as a little kid, I kind of instilled that drive in me to set my eyes on something and just do it. Don't like fantasize and dream about just do it. I should be getting paid by Nike right now. Um, just do it. <laughs> yeah, it <sounds laughs> However, like yeah, it was it was very risky. Yeah, right. It was very risky to do that. But that's something that I can be proud of. I'll tell my future kids, you know, in wisdom, be wise about it. But if you really have a goal, then chase after it. You're only young once, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was the thought process behind that. So it worked out, thankfully. Um, <laughs> if I would have moved back to the East Coast, everyone would have knew why it didn't work out. But, you know, we're at that age where we can take those risks and it's not going to tear us apart long term. You know, I might not be able to do that when I'm married with kids. So I thought, I thought now or never. Right. And, and this is a question I like to ask people that are working on the on-camera side of, uh, of TV and sports TV. But you work at these smaller markets, uh, smaller market stations like the station you were working at at the Del Mar area, and you mm-hmm. wonder is there a is there a set path? Because you see people say you got to get your reps in, but on the flip side, you don't want to be at the same at the same station for too long. Was that weighing in on you at all? Did you think okay, I've I've done a lot here, but it it might be time to go just for my future? Yeah, and I think. Um people really it's either or extreme like for me I knew I won I was in a smaller market Delmarva and the reason I took that job is because you know I love football and we got to report on three NFL teams so although I was in a small market we were at the Eagles training camp Washington Redskins Baltimore Ravens and we were with the the top markets like number four number seven number 20s um So that was really cool that you almost competed with those stations. And in certain areas of Delaware, they got both our channel and the Philly channel. So that part was kind of cool, um, especially as they had so many NFL teams in their coverage area. But some people actually love it. Like my former news director, he stayed for eight years because small markets, it has a small town feel and then once you're in that for so long you know everyone by name every time you go to a story a football game they all know you you know everyone and it's really homey and you can really fall in love with that for me though um, already experiencing the west coast in a much bigger market I kind of already had this idea of what I wanted so that was really cool while the time lasted and to get that experience but I already kind of had an idea of what I want wanted through experience so that's why, for me, I wanted to get back. It does. LA really does kind of sink your teeth, sink its teeth into you, and uh, you know, it's it's hard Absolutely. to it's hard to give it up, especially the networking side. But Crystal, the Sacramento job that you're at right now, Good Day Sacramento, how did that appear on your radar? What was the process of that being you know out there being an option, and then ultimately you landing that position? Yeah, well, you know, when you're job searching, it's almost like a full-time job. So I was at my computer all the time just looking up what's open. I saw this opening, and they said they wanted a highly creative individual to join their team. 
So since I was only a five-hour drive, I emailed the news director, offered to drive up there, interview. He pretty much, when I did that, he pretty much wanted me to start like the next day. <laughs> Obviously, that's not possible because I have to move my stuff and get all that in line. But I started very, very soon after. Um, and that's just literally just knowing the market and knowing what's out there and not being a, afraid to cold email. It's, it's almost just like a, a normal journalist when we're doing stories, you have to cold call people or cold email people. So it's kind of like the same concept just towards a job search. Right. Never really thought of it like that, but it is like the way you do your gig of trying to be a journalist in that same way. If you approach mm -hmm. that way when you're looking for a job, it's an interesting way to do it. And it's funny too, because it's not the traditional, you know, you mentioned it being like a full-time job. Not traditionally what your background is. You're <laughs> kind of branching out a little bit. Okay, so if you remember, before my time on the East Coast, after the NFL, I hosted a show for Time Warner Cable. And that was kind of like a cross between sports and athletics. And when I say athletics, like I was the one out there doing all this athletic stuff. So it was, you know, L.A. is very fitness-oriented. So I was doing a lot of fitness stuff, but I also did sports stuff as well. Now, this station, it really combines everything. From I told you before the podcast that I wake up at 2 a.m. It's crazy hours. I get to work at 3, 3.30. The show starts at 4.30. From 4.30 a.m. to 7 a.m., I'm covering hard news. So homicides fires, you name it. And I, I had that experience. I'm so thankful for my former station, WBOC, because I did anchor news. And when they had all hands on deck, I would go out and cover hard news. So I'm able to do that. Within one day, I might do 10 to 20 live shots per day. And the things that I really post on social media <laughs> is probably what you're referring to. These are our live features. From 7 until the end of the show, which is 10, I do probably three different live features for, for that day. And they're just really fun and exciting things to get people, you know, out the door with a smile on their face. Because mm -hmm. it is a morning show, so we want to give you the news that you need to know before you start your morning. But we also want you to start your morning with a smile. So you saw me probably on Facebook or Instagram windsurfing and falling off mm -hmm. <laughs> or, indoor, or indoor surfing. Yeah, and falling mm -hmm. off. Um, there's so many like creative things that I get to do. And, and having an athletic background, you know, as a hurdler or basketball player, it allows me to do that. So viewers literally see me talking about fires and homicides and things that aren't so great to um, having just a really good time and doing this completely live. And when you're live, you can have, like, a super genuine moment with people. It's it's not, you know, obviously you pre-plan what you're trying to do, but it's not very scripted at all. So you're just kind of being yourself. And when you can do that and the viewer sees that, they can really connect with you. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think, you know, in all, all jokes aside, being able to have the, the background to take on a serious story and, and a funny, more lighthearted story, you know, makes it more interesting as I continue chatting with Crystal Rich on the Money Mitch Effect. And Crystal, that is another thing I wanted to kind of dive into. So you have different types of stories that you go over in the course of a day. You have the lighthearted stuff where, you know, you're, you're posting videos. It's all more fun-oriented. But you have the serious stuff, as you mentioned, where there might be homicides, fires, you name it. Is it hard on your end to kind of 
you know, get ready to do one or the other or, or switch on a dime, I should say, and go from serious to lighthearted or, or vice versa? Great, great question. Seriously, you're a great journalist. Um, yeah, it's, it's not the easiest thing to do because you are going from things that can be heartbreaking to having to completely, like, shut that off and then go and completely be your fun and happy self. So, thankfully, it's not every day that it's a homicide story or a really sad story like that. But on the days that it is, you know, you go out there, you get the facts, you tell the people what you know. Sometimes you don't have all the facts and you're telling them, what you know so far and then to just completely shut that off and go do a really fun segment with kids and we're at camp and I'm trying to do something crazy that that can be completely different so you kind of have to learn how to like shut off the hard news side and then transition into the fun side and thankfully um, unlike a lot of news stations we drive from location to location our show is five and a half hours completely live so we're not stagnant and on our drives you're able you know we have we work with great photographers i always give them so much credit and we're able to kind of just relax after covering a hard news story and get our minds right for something else especially if something really sad happens because at the end of the day we are journalists and our job is to get the information to you but we're also human first right now i would imagine that having a good team around you makes it much easier you know if you're able to <laughs> kind of get through it together it'd be pretty hard if it was just you out there having to go you know from story to story and and go from sad to happy or happy to sad yeah absolutely and we have a uh, great teams here all of the photographers are very different um and i love all of them like one of my favorites is steve garcia and he loves like hip-hop so we're always in the car and, you know, it's the old R&B. So we're always in the car having a good time. And that's kind of one way that it makes it easier for me to transition. One of my other favorite photographers, his name is Dave McCain. He, um, he loves guitar. He loves film. So we're always talking about things like that. He loves reading. So it's just good to work with good people. And that's just not in the TV industry. That's like literally whatever you do. When you're surrounded by good folks, it makes the situation a little bit better. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, it, it'll it'll definitely make not only the days go by better, but ultimately your work will show as well to be positive there. And Crystal, I do want to get back to your routine. You mentioned this gig is is a lot of early a lot of early hours. You know, is that you know, waking up at two in the morning and, and not just waking up at two, but having to be ready to go at your job at four thirty? I think that might be the the underrated part of this. How hard was that to get used yeah. to? Is this something that you know? you've never really had to do before or do you have uh, some experience now yeah. with some of these sp stops working early hours? Yeah, Mitch, well, I know you can feel me on this because we are sports and sports are typically night side. So my last gig, I was working 3 p.m., maybe 2 p.m. until midnight, maybe 2 a.m. I didn't get home or go to sleep until the time I have to wake up now. So it is a completely... 360 for me life-wise. Um, I've been in sports ever since I came out of college, and that's always at night. And I know you do a lot with tennis, so sometimes when it's um, hours out the country, you have to wake up really early. So I know you can relate to that. It does get a little bit easier when you have to do it all the time, but I'm waking up at 2. Um, I'm getting out by 3, 3.10, I get to work at 3.30, I get off at noon, sometimes 2 p.m. if it's a crazy day, and um, I try to get in bed by 7. 
seven, eight. Sometimes I slip up and go to bed at nine. But seven o'clock here, it's still light out. So you have to really learn how to adjust to that lifestyle. It hasn't, it wasn't the easiest at first, but it does get easier. But, you know, we have thousands of years of our ancestors going to bed at a certain time, and you're just all of a sudden like, hey, I'm going to switch it up on on you guys. So (laughs) it's something to get used to for sure, but 100% worth it. Yeah, it's funny because we all kind of have experience with just adjusting our hours, but when you lock into a routine like that, it it doesn't matter who you are and what your experiences are. You're gonna, it's gonna take some time. You know, it's it seems weird at first, but yeah. But hey, you know what? I, I know you're able to handle it, and I, and I do. <laughs> I want to spend some time going over some of those lighthearted pieces because <laughs> I give you credit because you share a lot of them. You know, on on social media, even the ones that might not end out end up going well in your favor, but or uh, wipe out. Yeah, that, you know the the surfing one was was interesting, but the one that got me was uh, you in a swim race at the uh, Summer Sanders event. Oh um, yeah, I give you credit because you fought hard to the end, but um, I would say the form might need a little bit of work if we're if we're gonna completely Monday morning quarterback this. Okay, so um, if if you haven't seen this, it's really hilarious. This was one of the first funniest things that I've done on live TV. So, you know, I get to this swim meet that's very, very um, known in this area. It's been going on for 20, 22 years. So it's my first time here. I tell these folks, you know, for my live segment, I want to do something really fun, interactive. So I pull out two girls who swim, and I tell them I'm going to race them doing two laps. Now, one lap is about 25 meters, so that's like a 50-meter race pretty much. I get in the water. I'm not warmed up. I'm not anything. You know, I've, I've gotten to the point where I don't get nervous really before a live shot. But before this, I was so nervous. Like right before I got in the, the water, I was just like, oh, what did I sign myself up for? And I told them that on air too. I said, guys, I don't even know if it's possible to be this nervous, but I'm about to race these two girls who practice every single day, and today I didn't even warm up. <laughs> so, And they have their swimming caps, their goggles. Here I am. I have um, a T-shirt and some shorts and a bathing suit under. Um, so I like my hair is out. Nothing's really together. So, you know, I grew up with a pool in my backyard. So I'm like, I got this. You know, every athlete thinks they'll, they'll be good at everything. And mind you, I'm a former athlete. So in my mind, like, I'm talking all this trash. Like, these little girls can't beat me. They're in high school. Come on, please. So by the time they make it to the other end, which is one lap, or by the time I make it, they're pretty much finishing up their second lap. <laughs> so they're at the pretty much at the finish line, and I just got down to the far end, which is one lap. So that was so funny because everyone was surrounded, cheering me on. You could see where I completely died. I was so tired. I was like, man, like these people make swimming feel, they make it look easy, but it's so hard. Like I have so much respect for these guys. I got out the water. I could barely talk on live TV. And that's one of the genuine moments that I was kind of alluding to earlier. Like when the audience sees that, I'm not like faking it or like acting like I'm 100% okay. I'm like, completely worn out i'm giving you the information but i'm completely worn out and that was um honestly that was one of my favorites yeah the, my favorite part was probably uh right before the race started when the girls were looking at you like yeah okay <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes uh but it's true though and I the, mean, 
as swimming is a different type of cardio altogether. I mean, it's, oh, it's incredible how how much endurance you have to have just specific to that sport. Seriously, and I ran track, so you know, I'm I'm good. I'm 100% good, and I had a pool growing up, not an Olympic size pool, not even an in-ground pool, above the ground pool. So in my mind, I was golden. Didn't turn out like that. Um, but it was it was really it was really fun and really worth it. Yeah, maybe a little more practice, and you could you can you know get to <laughs> about halfway through on the second lap. Maybe maybe I'll re I'll re challenge them next year. Maybe I'm just glad it wasn't against Summer Sanders. That could have been <laughs> could have been even worse. But, I would I would be so embarrassed if it was. I do want to ask you one of the one of the more interesting pieces though that you worked on. Still chat with Crystal Rich on the Money Mitch effect was uh being at a draft party for an individual player when you went to mm-hmm. uh, Akela Witherspoon's house, a Sacramento native, yes. Colorado football player. Now, I, you know, and I've always wondered about this, but this is, you know, you're getting to cover this kid's moment, this family's moment of a player getting drafted, but it's not the top-end prospect. It's not a, a, I wouldn't say lottery pick cause it's a different sport, but this wasn't a, a first-round graded guy, so you're there with somebody who graded very well but is a you know mid-round so to speak second third round uh, talent as evaluated so what was that like i'd have to expect i'd be a little more nervous and anxious in that room not knowing exactly where this kid's going to get drafted yeah i you know for him i think the the nerves were more on his end for me i was actually interviewing um nfl draft picks while i was in college uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. So that was really cool. But when I went to his house, this was day of the draft. And this is someone who's not at the draft, even though I'm sure he got invited because he was a third-round draft pick. He wasn't there, but, you know, he wanted to be in Sacramento with his family so everyone could be a part of his big moment. You could tell he was a little bit nervous because West Coast football players, a lot of times, they want to stay on the West Coast. They want their families to be able to come out to their games as much as possible. And him getting drafted to the 49ers he was so happy that that would you know be an option for him he told me um Niners Raiders or Seahawks would be his top picks and it worked out for him so going there and you know you know me adding some sports knowledge in there and and trying to incorporate more sports things was awesome and it was even more amazing um, as a journalist, even to get to share like this really huge life-changing, literally life-changing moment in someone's life, and for something that you're passionate about, like me and football. Well, that's interesting. So he was nervous, maybe as much or more, of, not worried about sliding, but nervous about getting displaced on the East Coast. You know, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, like a lot of players that I talk to who are younger, they they want to stay on the the West Coast. And, but don't get me wrong, like, they would be happy to be drafted to any team, mm-hmm. of course. However, if they could have their way, uh, a lot of guys want to be closer to family and yeah. closer to what they know and, the, and their roots. So that's a common thing that I've, I've learned recently. You know, and he's an interesting player, Witherspoon, only, I think only playing like a year of high school football, kind of being a late bloomer, a transfer to Colorado. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, yes. it, it's, it's, it's a potential pick that could be very uh, – could be very beneficial for the Niners. And uh, I have to imagine that room with a lot of the family, you know, nervous for a while. Yep. But that draft moment, it has to be a pretty special time when, when the phone rings, he picks oh it up my and gosh. sees it on TV. So exciting. And they have a really cool family background, too. They're, his grandfather, 
had a number one hit on the R&B charts back in, I'm guessing, a 49, if I can remember wow, properly. Really? Um, Jimmy Witherspoon was his name. So he had a, a hit single called Ain't Nobody's Business. So that was awesome. And Akello apparently also sings, too. He wouldn't sing on live TV <laughs> <laughs> the same day he was getting drafted. But just, just super cool, you know, being able to get that close and learn these cool facts about a family is awesome. Um, I'll, pro- I'll probably be at 49ers training camp, so hopefully I'll be able to catch back up with him and see how things have gone since the draft. Well, it's a special moment, another uh, another experience for yourself, getting to cover a live draft moment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those stories are always interesting. Best of luck to him. I, I do want to ask you before we wrap, wrap this up, Crystal, What's it like living in Sacramento? You know, I don't. I have to ask you because I don't know too many people that, that live up there. You're in California in, in, uh, in a different part of it. And have you noticed it being any, any different, any unique, any fun stories about living up north? You know, I noticed that there's not a lot of Eagles fans here. No, <laughs> okay. you know, I'm, right, a, I'm yeah. a silly girl at heart. Yeah. Anything <laughs> no, else? No, <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty. It's <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, I kind of sum it up as like a suburb city where they have cute little downtown and midtown areas, but it's not as city-like as like a New York or L.A. as what I'm used to. If you're familiar with L.A. and familiar with the valley, it has more of a valley feel to it. So definitely a city, but a little more community-oriented. So that part is pretty cool. Um, I live really close to downtown Sacramento, and they have the Sacramento River, so I'm able to just walk across that bridge all the time. Beautiful view. You can have, like, dinner or brunch on the river. So that's pretty cool. I'm still pretty new, so I'm still exploring. I don't have everything figured out quite yet. But so far, so good. That's good. Well, you know, it's anytime you move to a new city, you're going to have to figure it out and find where the cool places are. I, I think Sacramento, and, and I, I can't really say because I haven't been there, but it seems like it gets unfairly disrespected. You know, we, no one really talks about <laughs> it. I'm sure there's some places to go, but um, but no, best of luck right. to you in, in figuring out your new city. Before we go, though, i got to ask you about uh, the NBA because I know you've been keeping up with the free agency. So what's, Oh, yeah. What stood out to you? I, I know you're a Sixers fan at heart, and, and the team definitely has a lot of potential this year, but free agency has just been an absolute whirlwind. Yes. Uh, what stood out to me? I mean, obviously the number one pick, Markel Fultz. Um And Philly, oh my gosh, it's been so painful, you know, because we had such a great player in Allen Iverson and then had like this 15-year drought post-Iverson. So it's been hard because Philly, no matter what sport it is, we have these super high expectations that, you know, we never really meet them, but we still have them. It's like when we talk about football, we don't just want to win the NFC East. We want the Super Bowl every single year. So, um, it was really exciting to draft him, and I know everyone's mind is, you know, will he live up to Allen Iverson's level? So that was really cool. But what I, I really enjoyed and thought was amusing, I'll have to, like, go back to Philly and, like, double-check this, but apparently the Philly fans named the new Sixers' dominant few the Feds for Bolt, and B, Dario, and Simmons, and... That, to me, was so cool because in real life, like, you never want to mess with the feds. So when you're talking about basketball, that's just, like, an extremely clever nickname. Like, you don't want to mess with the feds. And their whole motto was trust the process. 
So hopefully all of this losing on purpose will pay off because it has been painful. It has been so painful as a Sixers fan. I will always be a fan until the day I die. But you also hope something good will come out of it eventually if you're being so loyal. Yeah, I noticed the decibel uh, level went up when we started talking about Philly sports and the Sixers. So uh, <laughs> the passion is obviously still there. And I'm I'm looking forward to what this team can do, Crystal. But I, I'm a little worried about you know giving a nickname out to a team that hasn't really played together yet. So I just say I, I know, stay cautious. I know. You know, we I, have to we have to tread carefully. I understand. I understand. Um, but you know, they they still have a young team, mm-hmm. and that's been one of my biggest problems personally with the Sixers is they're so young they don't know how to develop talent like the veteran talent doesn't really want to stay or doesn't really want to play cough cough Andrew Bynum but um hopefully they will be able to build a great chemistry and eventually do really well so maybe I'll hold off on calling them the feds for maybe a season or two but I'm hoping they will have the chemistry that will build up to me confidently yelling at a bar and saying, the feds, the feds are coming. You know, I'm looking forward to that day. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I like the Reddick signing. I think that's a veteran that could give them some shooting. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think think there's some options there. Free agency was was weird for me. I mean, Chris Paul in Houston is going to be odd to look at. We'll see. We'll see if it works. Uh, But Paul George in Oklahoma City probably for only a year. Uh, a lot of dominoes yeah. it, it just shows you how dominant the Warriors are that they're making all this happen. You know, it's like I feel like the late rest of the league just kind of going crazy because of how good Golden State I is. honestly, I didn't like, I'm totally okay with CP3 going um, to Houston. I actually think him and Harden will work well together, even though some people think otherwise. However, I'm just not a fan of Nick Young to the Warriors. I'm really not. Um, I read an interesting article where they're saying, this can be his time for, like, a makeover reputation-wise. But do you really want to risk a championship team on this player who obviously can play, but will he bring morale down? Like, who knows? I'm just not, like, the biggest fan of it. If it works out for him, great. But if it were my team, can't say I would take that risk. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying, but my two counters of that would be, does it really matter with who their stars are? You know, who's filling out the rest of the roster? And and also, I really like the kid, uh, Patrick McCall, who got some time in the playoffs as well. You know, Durant and Thompson especially rave about him, and I think Young's going to have to earn his keep. They're not just going to give him minutes, so if he's not playing well, doesn't fit into the culture, I don't think he'll see the floor. I think they're that, that loaded, so I see what you're saying. Yeah, he will... He will definitely have to kind of earn his stripes there on that team. Absolutely. So can I play the journalist for a second and ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. This is, it feels no, a little weird. But I'm all sure right, that no. – <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all your listeners know, but you know, like, everything about sports. I can say what happened in 1982 on this day, and you will probably know the answer. Um, I don't want to know anything that crazy. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what you're reading right now. What am I reading right now? Hmm, let's see. I am No, it's interesting. I actually you know what I you know what I read recently though, Crystal? I actually took a sports break and I, I've been reading some uh Malcolm Gladwell, if you know who that author is. Yeah. He wrote this book called oh, that's uh, awesome. You know, it's interesting too because uh he's a writer, um and he hosts a podcast as well. But he wrote this book that I really liked called Outliers that uh 
has a lot of theories that you could apply to sports and other, and other things, not to give it a, a, a complete uh, promo form, but he had a theory in there, 10,000 hours, which kind of ties into what we're talking about with you and with our experiences where it basically says you got to get your reps in, you know. It takes about 10,000 right. hours or so of hard work on a craft to really become a master level. And he, he referenced sports. He referenced other fields, other other interesting, uh, you know, different professions. It's fascinating. You know, it's still kind of tied into sports, but I'm trying to branch out. I'm trying to get some other skills. It's uh, it's tough, you know. When you get to 10,000 hours of this podcast, then you have to celebrate. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm quite there yet. But uh, I, you know, if, I, if you combine some college stuff, some writing, uh, maybe I'm in the four figure area. But it's tough. You know? It's a lot of it's a lot of hours. Not but, bad. But Crystal, thanks for joining the show. Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I look forward to to seeing your work at Good Day Sacramento. We we talked about basketball. Gonna be some uh, some Kings yeah. coverage there for you when the season starts. Yeah, well, you know, I actually went to the Golden One Center, our new arena, for the first time literally yesterday, and we were voted Best Sports Facility of the Year. Um, really excited for some of their draft picks as well. So they're trying to shake up the pot, too. So hopefully um, they do well, and, you know, the better they do, the more we try to get them. So I'll definitely keep my eyes peeled and pitching stories about the NBA and, and the young players coming in. It'll be good. We, you got Fox on the team. You got Zebos coming. I saw that as well. So the Kings might not be that bad. Yeah. Sure. We'll see. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited oh. for uh, for you this year, and uh, it's always good to catch up. You know, the next time you're in L.A., we might have to do one of these in person just to, uh, to catch Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Mitch, uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on, Crystal. Really appreciate it. Big thanks to Crystal Rich for coming on today's show. It is always a pleasure talking to her. She's one of my favorite people in the sports industry. And uh, I do I do have to question, you know, that uh, that swimming stamina. It's just not up to par yet. Uh, someone to her standards, it's just unacceptable. But in all seriousness, thanks to Crystal. Best of luck to her. I know she's going to do well. And I can't wait to talk to her again on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now it's time to talk NBA free agent action, NBA offseason action with Brandon Marcus. Brandon is another NFL vet along with myself. We're going to talk about basketball, though. He's a Clippers fan. He's got a lot to say about the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin decisions, as well as Paul George on the Thunder, Gordon Hayward on the Celtics, and much more. We recorded this just for all transparency and clarity. We recorded this on Wednesday night, July 5th, so did not have the latest up-to-date news. I think we covered pretty much all the stories, but there's been some some trickle-down that's happened in the last 24 hours. So, Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch Effect, NBA Free Agent Action. Here it is now. All right, time to recap some wild NBA free agency, bringing on a favorite guest of mine, recurring guest, friend of the program, Host of Mostly Banner, Brandon Marcus. Thanks for joining the show. I love the introduction. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate yeah. you having me, man. Yeah, you know, got to keep it professional. Uh, you know, that's what we try to do here. But thanks for uh, for making an appearance. And there's two ways to look at this. One being we were really let down by the NBA playoffs this year. But the positive side is free agency has been all that we can ask for and more, uh, Brandon. 
when you think about it, when you think about all the movement and all the sudden moves, I don't think either of us were expecting. We thought there could be a lot for just the sheer chaos that free agency uh, brought us this year. Yeah, well, we knew that there would be some pieces that would move. I mean, obviously, people that listen know I'm a Clippers fan, so we knew that Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, there would be some movement possibly there. We obviously knew Gordon Hayward was going to possibly move somewhere. There were some big pieces, and there's still a couple more dominoes to fall also. I mean, you have guys like Otto Porter that, as of this taping, haven't signed yet. So I'll be curious to see what actually happens next year. But as far as we know, the Western Conference is going to be nuts. Yeah, let's actually start there because in light of uh, some of the moves, we have 13 of the 14 best, according to the ESPN-ranked players, in the Western Conference, the other being LeBron James. I mean, that, that I think, speaks volumes for the um, the imbalance right now, competitively and individually right now, Brandon. But I don't know. I mean, I think players, if I was a player that had some flexibility this year and the years to come, wouldn't you be trying to get to the East knowing that information? Of course. And you could be an all-star. And it just could help your stock in so many different ways. I mean, if you're going to become a free agent and all of a sudden you make an all-star, you can go to the table and say, hey, I'm an all-star. And they can't really disagree with you. I mean, even though you're in the East compared to the West. You know what would be interesting, though, Mitch, is we always see there are some changes that always get made in different leagues because there's some outcry about different rules or different leagues. And just the imbalance just depends on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how many people are complaining about just the imbalance in the two leagues and the two conferences and how many people get upset because you're going to have teams that are nine or ten seeds that should be a three or four seed in the East. Yeah, well, and that's why I think I, I'm I'm on record as saying I'm against conferences. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I would, you know, and, and I'm willing to give each conference, give the East right now, eight teams to get in, but I would just seed it one to 16 once the 16 teams are set. Brandon, the first thing uh, I, we should talk about is the most recent big domino to fall, pretty much the last big domino to fall, and that's Gordon Hayward signing with the Boston Celtics. He spent the first seven years of his NBA career with the Utah Jazz. He reunites with Brad Stevens, his coach at college at Butler, four years, $128 million, and I should preface this w with forget about money. We know NBA money is ridiculous at this point, but $128 million, he's going to play in Boston for Arguably the tail end of his prime. A uh, rare instance, Brandon, where a guy left the West to go to the East. Do you think that had more outside to do with it than reuniting with uh, with Stevens? The fact that he's going to a team in the Eastern Conference? I'll be curious to see what actually happens with the Celtics. But I'm curious to see with Hayward if he just knew that the Celtics didn't really... I mean, the Celtics didn't have much competition in the East mm -hmm. compared to Utah, which the Clippers faced him in the first round. And damn, man, that team's good. I mean, they were really young, and they actually built something. And it took a little while for them to build it, but they finally got to the place where Quinn Snyder was happy with the team. And you had your Gobert, you had your George Hill, you had your Hayward. And to see him kind of move to the Boston Celtics sucks yeah. because Utah was there. I mean, they were competing. But that's what happens now with these super teams. You're forced to go somewhere with two or three other guys and actually compete. And I don't think Utah had enough, and Hayward knew that. And so that's why I mean, he goes to Boston, and you wonder what would have happened, a couple of things. What would have happened, first of all, if Stevens was never the coach of Boston? He probably would have mm -hmm. never gone to the Celtics. Mm -hmm. And second of all, what would have happened a couple of years ago 
when Utah and Hayward were talking about contract details, and this was before we knew Gordon Hayward was that good, but he had a chance to get extended, and Utah didn't extend him. I think it was over just a million or $2 million per year. Yeah. So obviously that's something that Utah might regret, but it's just a matter of you go where the chance to win is. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's an, an underrated part of this whole side is Utah not extending him at at, at that price originally but also if you go back to you know 2014 you know everybody talked about what what overshadowed that free agency was LeBron going back to Cleveland but Hayward was a free agent Utah wasn't in a rush to re-sign him then either so there was some inactivity I'd say on the Utah side that could have come back to bite him but it, it does suck that Hayward's leaving Utah for Boston for the small market side of things that they were building something they did everything right and now Hayward leaves uh, but it, it's a shrewd and smart business move for a Gordon Hayward. And honestly, it's hard to fault him for going to a team that is in an easier conference, a coach he knows. They're, they're building maybe something long-term. There's that elephant in the room with what Cleveland's going to look like in a few years. It's hard to hate it from Gordon Hayward, the businessman, and even the basketball player's side. But it does suck for the fans of small market teams that Utah, another organization that just loses their guy without really doing anything too crazily wrong. Yeah, and it sucks because they have to draft well. I mean, if you're Utah, you're not attracting that many good free agents. I mean, who wants to go to Utah when you can go to Miami? You can go to New York. You can go to Los Angeles. There are so many better options than going to Utah. And I've spent some time there. I love Utah. It's a really nice place. But it's one of those things where unless you've been there and you've become part of the culture there, you don't really get it and free agents don't have a chance to get it unless they actually go there. So it's tough. And I feel bad for Utah fans because they really did build, build something, and now you wonder where that leaves this team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with them in a stacked Western Conference, even more so after free agency. Brandon, I look at the Celtics, though, and, and it's another great player. It's another wing player that it seems like they're stockpiling at this point. What does this team look like? At the time of recording, they still haven't cleared out all their cap space to make the Hayward signing fit. That's just a formality, but we assume a guy like Jay Crowder is probably gone. They're going to renounce all the rights of players that they can to save money. But what does this team look like? Is there another domino to fall for them, or is this what they're going to be, a team with a lot of uh, stretch you know, threes and fours and, and a lot of size on the wing? Yeah, everyone's slobbering all over the Celtics, and don't get me wrong. It's a very good team. Isaiah Thomas, very good. Avery Bradley, if they don't get rid of Avery Bradley, very good two-guard. That can help you both offensively and defensively. Hayward slots in in that three. Jay Crowder was good. He wasn't great. So you definitely upgrade big time there. And I think more importantly, you give somebody else the ball late, except for Isaiah, besides for Isaiah Thomas, and you have Hayward there. He can handle the rock. He can get you points when you need him. I'm still worried about their bigs. I mean, yeah. I like Al Horford. He had a really bad first half last year and then kind of figured it out in the second half. But I still don't know what they do with their bigs. And that'll be something to watch. They can obviously go small because they're stockpiled, like you say, with those wing players. So if they want to go big, you can put Hayward at the four. I mean, if you keep Jay Crowder, which I don't think they're going to, you can put him at the four. You obviously have guys like Jalen Brown. And you drafted a couple of good players as well. I mean, Tatum apparently is already lighting things up over in Summer League. So they've got the scoring down, but I don't know what they're going to do down low to rebound the basketball. But frankly, does that even matter now in today's NBA? I mean, it's just about scoring, I feel like. 
Yeah, and they have time. I mean, they could wait it out, you know, go into the season, make a move if they really think they're close to contending. Uh, the, you know, there's there's guys that are always available at that, that at that position, so I think they'll be okay. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, although I should, bring, I'm glad you brought this up. I don't ever take too much stock out of summer league. This happens every year. We <laughs> we anoint all these kids, and they're probably going to be great. But I don't I don't watch that much summer league, if any. And uh, I just take it for what it is. So good for no, Tatum. Right. I hope it works out, but I'm not going to be slobbering over him or any of the the uh, 76ers prodigies that light it up year in, year out in Summer League. Yeah, I agree. I don't really get why everyone gets all excited about Summer League. I just saw a couple of highlights, and nobody's playing defense. <laughs> exactly. So, so how can you even decide if a player is good enough and if he can separate from his defender and get to the hoop when you actually have a big guy there. I mean, you don't see that in the summer league. Yeah, you got about four or five guys on each team that are going to make the final rosters too. So, I mean, I take it for what it is. But all right, all right. We'll, we'll move on now. Money Mitch Effect, Brandon Marcus, uh, NBA free agent recap. It's still ongoing, but we have a pretty good idea where most of these players are going. And Friday night, this past Friday, Brandon, it uh, – I almost seemed like a bit of a newsbreaker for you because we happened to be texting, and uh, that's when the Paul George trade went down. Paul yeah, George dude, going. <laughs> how about that? I should call you Woj Michaels. Is what I should call well, you. it was. You know, it wasn't that inactivity before Woj started at ESPN, but it was that, and it was the Blake Griffin signing back to back, and it just mm-hmm. was one of those things randomly that you know, good timing on uh, on my end. But we'll start with Paul George. He goes. He gets traded. We thought he was going to leave Indi- Indiana at some point. But he gets traded to the Thunder for Sabonis and Oladipo, and that's it. This is Paul George, uh, an all-NBA guy, a bright player in the NBA, getting traded for a lot less than what we think it's worth. Let's just like work backwards from this, Brandon. In The Pacers decide to give up Paul George for two players, Oladipo and Sabonis, that are good. We're not sure what the, what the ceiling is for Sabonis, but does it feel like they got ripped off a little bit, or were they just unbelievably desperate to get rid of him it's such a weird situation because you heard the lakers were apparently offering some package of clarkson randall and then those two late picks in the first round but indiana wasn't biting there and then you heard that boston was offering something and they offered even more at the deadline last year and it just feels like indiana didn't want to wait and let paul george kind of dictate things and they decided to just take an offer that they got. I don't even feel like it was the best offer. 100%. There's no chance that was the best offer. I like Olaf Depot. He's a good player, and I think he got overshadowed by how great Westbrook was last year. Because mm-hmm. Oladipo can help you both offensively and defensively. If you remember, he was really good defensively at Indiana. There you go. You bring him to Indiana. That'll at least put some fans in the seats. But I don't get it from the Indiana standpoint. I I just don't think you really got as much talent as you could get back for Paul George. And if you're George, what a weird fit. I mean, who would have (laughs) thought that you'd be going over to Oklahoma City? And essentially, you're replacing Durant. Because Durant was the three, and now you're going to become the three. Well, I think there's a lot at play in this trade. I think the first thing is the owner was legitimately pissed off. I think that George and his camp leaked it you know, to the press that he wanted out. I think that's part of it. I think they were just in a hurry to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. I think the owner, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but he's always been the type of guy, the Pacers have been a team, that they're never going to go full tank. 
So they didn't want a deal that revolved just around picks and looking years down the road. Oladipo, as you said, can help you now. Sabonis was you know, pretty highly touted, I should say, coming out of college. So there could be some upside there. But I think they wanted players at the center. And I also think, I agree with the common sentiment that I don't think they wanted George to be in their same conference in their same division. So there was a lot you know, at play. It wasn't the best offer. It's hard for me to fully bash this trade. But I do agree. I don't think it's the best thing they could have gotten. That's possible. You know, I never thought of it like that, where they just didn't want to send Paul George to the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. Is that possible that all of a sudden a Western Conference team maybe calls them and says, here's our offer, and they say, fine. Yeah, yeah. We like Sabonis. I mean, I think Sabonis was a first-round pick last year. He was. I'm not wrong. That's correct, And then you like what Oladipo can bring you. And you're right about Indiana, they never really been a team that just completely sucked. But at the same time, when was the last time they were really good? Like top two in the Eastern Conference. Well, the heat, the heat rivalry, you know, suppose that's uh, it's like five years ago, you know, yeah. you know, they, they, they competed there. We'll see what the Pacers do. I mean, I don't know that they're going to bottom out. Uh, they, they have some talent still, but it's hard to lose a player like that. On the flip side, though, Brandon, Paul George and Russell Westbrook pra- playing together you know, is a is a fan of and a person with league passes dream. There's going to be some questions that can these two gel, but it seems like they get along, and it seems like in theory, if you're going to pair somebody up with Westbrook, who's so ball dominant, Paul George is a pretty good fit. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. It's a nice guy that can spread the floor, and if Westbrook attacks the paint, he can kick out to George, or George can handle the ball and get a cutting Westbrook. I feel like both guys will actually fit pretty well together. I don't think that George is the same player as Durant, um, but at the same time, I think George can do a lot of the same things that Durant could when it comes to just shooting from three, just taking control of the game. If you remember during the regular season, there was that great George versus LeBron game mm-hmm. where they both just went at it, and they, they showed how good they could be, but just the two of them against each other. And you imagine what they do if they could play with each other. But at the same time, I, I don't know if this makes sense for Oklahoma City in the long term. But short term, it'll be fun to watch at least, and it keeps them competitive. But I feel like you're going to be saying that about every single Western <laughs> Conference team. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with Westbrook. I mean, this is big for him because you know he's just won the MVP, but he's also going to have to prove that you know he can you know play with another top guy. You know, if he fits in with George, that'll say a lot about you know maybe it was Durant that wasn't able to to mash mesh his style together but this is make no mistake about it brandon this is a this is a rental you know i I don't know that i that i've read much that indicates that he's going to stay george in oklahoma city but having said that they didn't really give up that much in the grand scheme of things to rent him so again i i can't really hate on oklahoma city why not take that chance and and get paul george and, and maybe have a snowball's chance of seeing if you can convince him to stay for a little bit even if you don't you really didn't give up that much yeah, you didn't sacrifice your future at all with that trade. All you did is give up Oladipo and Sabonis, so it's not like you gave up any pieces that can't be replaced via the draft or free agency. So you get a chance to get a guy who maybe he does like playing with Russell Westbrook, and they decide, you know what, we can get one more star that can come play with us, whether it be a two-guard or whether it be a big man, and you've got yourself a pretty damn good team in Oklahoma City. But then, of course, you have the people that are here in L.A., where you and I, Mitch, we... (laughs) 
are surrounded by Lakers fans. They all think, oh, that's just a stop for both Westbrook and George. They're coming to L.A. I don't get what the Lakers' infatuation, their fans are, with getting Westbrook. They just drafted a point guard no. that's supposed to be their future. I don't understand the whole Westbrook coming to L.A. thing. Yeah, that doesn't make as much sense. But George, I, I, don't, I would put it very small that he stays in Oklahoma City super long yeah. term. But what I'd like I to see... What I'd like to see and what I think could happen, you know, he has one year left on his deal. He doesn't have to opt out. Maybe Paul George says, I'm not going to opt out. I'm going to play one more year in Oklahoma City. And then the following free agent class, which isn't as star-studded, star maybe then he becomes the center point of that one. Just something to think about. Yeah, that's an option. I mean, there are so many different options now with these players, and it seems like this league has gone from where the owners dominate to now the players dominate. Just with the salary cap and just the way the players now can force their hand. I mean, who would have ever thought that all this buyout talk, all of a sudden Carmelo yeah. Anthony, Dwayne Wade, they get to decide where they want to play. Just they complain about being where they are and they can get bought out. I mean, why would a team want to buy you out when you can play and contribute for their own team? I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense yeah. that you're paying a guy not to play for you. And if you're an expiring contract, you're an asset to the team. I don't know why I don't know why you would get bought out or why they would even do that business wise before the trade deadline. It doesn't make much sense, but I am glad you brought up uh, players dominating uh, the league now in terms of how the league is shaped because the Rockets getting Chris Paul leaving your Clippers, Brandon. Oh God! There's okay. Let's start with this. Are there not tampering rules right that you can't have uh, discussions before a certain window, but yet. It comes out again all along that Harden was pushing to play with Chris Paul. So the yeah, front office of the Rockets. That's not a thing. <laughs> not with the players, apparently, right? I mean, yeah. I might believe that the GM, winking and nod, just knew it was going on but didn't directly get involved. But hey, Harden wanted to play with Chris Paul. My issues with this, for the basketball standpoint, are two ball dominant guards, but the players are pushing it. So I got to give them at least some benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and it's weird because it came out of nowhere. I mean, all of a sudden, that week, there was talk about Chris Paul being interested in Houston or in Houston trying to pursue Chris Paul, and you kind of wondered how that would work. But we just talked to Deidre Taylor on our last podcast who coached Harden at Arizona State, and I was asking him about how Harden and Paul fit, and he said it may not seem like a lot of sense. It might not make a lot of sense, but actually does fit because you have a chance to give Chris Paul a break from handling the ball. You give a chance to Harden, just he can dominate the ball for a little bit. Chris Paul can play off the ball. The only weird thing for me is, is that Mike D'Antoni played this style of offense where all they did was shoot threes and do something within three or four feet. No yeah. such thing as a jump shot with Houston. Mm -hmm. And you bring in the best jump shooter probably in the NBA in Chris Paul. It's a strange fit from that aspect for me. Yeah, and you're losing, you know, you are losing a guy like Lou Williams that you brought in to do a lot of the same, so you're going to have to change the the, uh, the style of offense. I wouldn't say drastically, but somewhat. Now, i got to ask you from the other side, why do you think, there's a lot out there both on and off the court, but why do you think Chris Paul, if you had to guess, would leave the Clippers? I mean, he had he could have got the most money from them. It seemed like they want, they would have gladly taken him back. Uh, this is a team that, while they haven't had the postseason success, had a young, has a core that's good, that has made all-star games. Why do you think he left L.A. for Houston? Several reasons. I don't think it's just one. I mean, I really do think it's several reasons. I do think it's the fact that 
He wanted to play with James Harden. I do think it's the fact that he and Blake Griffin did not get along. I think that there is some animosity towards Doc Rivers. Um, he probably didn't love, like people have mentioned, the stuff with Austin and the chance to get Carmelo Anthony and Doc apparently turning that down. So he didn't love that. There were just so many different things there that he was happy playing out his contract and then he could go and get a big contract next year because it does even out. He doesn't really lose that much money by going to Houston. I mean, people make a big deal out of that, but with the taxes and the mm -hmm. fact that he can get a big contract next year, I just don't think there's that big of a difference where you can give him a hard time for leaving money on the table because he didn't really leave that much money on the table. I just think there's so many different reasons why he did it. And he saw that Houston was better than the Clippers last year. And he saw what the Clippers have when healthy. I mean, we've all seen it. We've seen what the Clippers have. It's a good team, but they're not better than the Warriors. And maybe teaming up with Harden and getting some other guys like Carmelo Anthony or something to Houston, they're a contender. Yeah, I think he's just fed up with losing, you know, at his point in his career. I think he wanted to move on. And, and you could say the Rockets are, are clearly better or just a little bit better than uh, the Clippers. But it's a new chance. It's something different. It's another way to attack a problem. Uh, uh, and that's getting past the second round of the playoffs, which Chris Paul has never done. So we'll see what happens. I, I was shocked, though, Brandon, not to read the stuff that came out uh, because you, you, you didn't see a lot of that stuff on the surface. But also the fact that the Clippers, in wake of losing, you know, one of the best point guards of all time of his generation, certainly, they don't blow it up. They bring back Blake Griffin, five years, $173 million. They make a deal for a pending deal for Dino Gallinari. So they're not going to blow it up. They're going to try to be competitive. Did that stun you at all that the Clippers are still going to try to compete? I honestly had no idea what the team was going to do. People were asking me, are they going to try and keep everyone together? Are they going to blow it all up? Frankly, I was so indifferent to it all. I was fine with trading away Chris Paul. If he was going to leave, fine. I understand it. You could not keep the same three guys and Paul Griffin and Jordan together. It wasn't working. And the fact the Clippers were able to get something in Patrick Beverly, in Sam Decker, in Lou Williams, and that first-round pick that was pretty big and landing Danilo Gallinari. I mean, you finally got assets for the first time in a long time. That was incredible. I mean, I had Jerry West written all over it. But I get the idea of bringing back Blake Griffin because if you don't, you're terrible. I mean, <laughs> you are completely irrelevant. The team's going nowhere. But yeah. this would be the time to blow it all up. I mean, right. Because Golden State's dominating over the next couple of years, this would be the time to blow it all up. But there's no doubt about that. You absolutely had a chance right now. It's like a three- or four-year window where it's going to be all Golden State and who knows who else. Probably all Golden State. So you can rebuild, get some good draft picks, and build. But I don't think that Doc wanted to be a part of a rebuild like that. And I don't think that's why you brought in a guy like Jerry West to completely tear it all down and build it back up because that takes oh. some time. But I don't know. Oh, yeah. I could have been happy if they would have gotten rid of everybody and done that, completely rebuilt, because this is the time to do it. But I'm also happy with this. Because you keep the team relevant in a time where you need to stay relevant with so many different teams in L.A., like the Lakers, you have the Dodgers, you have the Angels, you have USC, UCLA, you have two soccer teams. I mean, you have so much going on here in L.A., two hockey teams, that you had to stay relevant.
Yeah, well, I mean, you, you know Doc wasn't going to be about a rebuild. I mean, look no. at how he came to L.A., you know, even Boston with the building still smoking there. But, no, I, I think it seems like they were handcuffed a bit, right? Like, they gave him five years, $173 million. Oh, That's, it's his choice, 100%. He, yeah. he ran that ship. Yeah. There was no, no bargain that you were going to get from Blake Griffin. <laughs> no. And, and, it was one of those things where he, he's going to get four years the max somewhere else. Yeah. So if you want to keep him, you better give him five years in the max. And I like Blake, but the injury history is what everybody talks about, and deservedly so. I mean, he's out till December at the earliest. The team should be competitive. Gallinari, another player I'm fond of, but has injury questions. There's still issues with this roster. They they should compete. I'm, I give them credit for trying to, but I, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for times this season. Um, and you know how it is, especially with the Warriors. As you said, this was their window to blow it up. But I don't know. I I think that we are in an interesting time where we have one team so far of everybody else, the biggest prohibitive favorite in sports, that a lot of free agent signings, a lot of the players that we're going to you know mention as we wrap as we roll through here, Brandon, we're taking a lot of money because maybe they knew that their window wasn't going to be for winning a title in the next couple of years. Yeah, but can I tell you something, Mitch? Yeah. If Blake Griffin goes and signs four years in the max with Boston or he signs four years in the max with Phoenix, mm -hmm. those two teams are getting applauded for signing Blake Griffin. But because the Clippers are the Clippers okay. and they yeah. gave him that extra year, which is obviously a big deal to give him that extra year because – if you give him four years, you have this year, which you hope he's going to be good. You don't know when he comes back from this injury. There's been reports that he might not come back till December. And then you have his final year, which he becomes an asset that he could tr you could trade. So it's those middle two years. But now it's three years where you're kind of stuck. So yeah. I just don't buy it that just get on the Clippers because they gave him the max. It's what they had to do. They had no other choice. If you're going to sign Blake Griffin – you had to get him for that amount of years, and you had to give him that much money. Because if not, he was gone, and he's got the injury history, but what else are you going to do besides blow it up completely? Right, that was the only other choice they had. It's that extra year that is an insurance year for Blake Griffin that makes it harder to deal him if something were to go wrong with him. But we'll see. Clippers uh, do not completely blow it up. They keep Blake, and it uh, should be an interesting season for the Clips next year as I continue chatting with Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch Effect. Some other teams and deals I do want to discuss. Let's talk about the two teams that have met in the finals the last three years. On one hand, the rich get richer for the Warriors, Brandon. They're, they're just moseying along this offseason. They give Steph Curry the supermax. Durant takes less. Iguodala, Livingston are back. Nick Young's on board. Omri Caspery is playing for the minimum. But on the other side, the Cavs haven't really done much at all. And they don't have a GM right now. So... I don't know. I mean, it's hard to go Stark uh, A and F for both of them, but one team's looking pretty good right now, just enjoying a championship. The other is uh, kind of scrambling a bit. Well, that's the difference between the two teams. I mean, one seems to be complacent, and the other one actually continues to build. And when you think Golden State is already at that A-plus level, they find another way to get better. And the fact that they were able to keep Iguodala is so incredible. And give so much credit to Kevin Durant for taking less money because that shows you how badly he wants to win, that he was willing to take less money and do this two-year contract with a player option for the second and bring everybody back together, knowing how important both Iguodala and Livingston were and have been to this team. So you bring everybody back, you get another shooter in Nick Young. He can't play defense worth a lick. 
So he's going to be just offense only. You somehow got a guy in Omri Cassidy that you could put at the three or the four for the vet minimum. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, it certainly is impressive. Uh, and, and look, they're a super team, but they also make great signings and draft well. Uh, yeah, I think draft that's well too. I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They they continue to draft guys. Jordan Bell. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. I, I couldn't believe it when it happened. I'm like, why is nobody else taking him? And sure enough, the Warriors get it. If I'm the Cavs, I'm I wouldn't say alarmed, but I don't like where this is going. Because what's the most optimistic thing you can say right now? We could just run it back and have the same result all over again, right? I mean, they're not doing anything to better their team. And financially, they're as strapped as anyone. I don't, I don't know what they do. I mean, if you're the Cavs, you had a really good team. And if you look back at the NBA Finals, sure, you got your doors blown off in the first couple games. But you had a chance to win game three, and you just completely blew it. And then you went and won game four. So it could have been 2-2, and it's a completely different series. So I wouldn't say that the Cavs are that much worse off by not doing anything. In this case, unlike the Clippers, you're better off just bringing every, everybody back and going after it. I don't get this infatuation with trading Love. I don't know about you, you, if you like Love or not, because I think he's so good, and he brings you so much both offensively and defensively, and he's so versatile with his way of playing inside and out. And so I think you play with those three guys. you got to get better pieces around him, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get a guy like Dwayne Wade that can fill your two-guard spot, you can get a couple more bench pieces. Because Darren Williams is your backup point guard. That doesn't work. The problem is it's twofold. I do agree Love is a, a great player. But they want to compete on this Warriors level that I don't know that anybody could reach. So they're thinking of ways to get better, and he's really the only asset that they can you know, dangle out there, that they would dangle out there to try to get better. But the other side, Brandon, is the Thompson, Tristan Thompson contract was awful. And, and you have two guys eating up that much money that you probably can't play together against the Warriors and win. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think they kind of, you know, they made their bed, and they're going to have to lie in it because I don't know what you can do at this point to get to that next level given the fact that you don't really have many assets. You've, you've signed a lot of guys going into their 30s that probably aren't going to get a lot better. I, I just don't see it either. I don't know. Yeah, but what do you do? That's the question. I mean, who can you bring in realistically? It's buyout. make that big of a difference. It's, you got to hope the buyout market yeah, goes your way, right? That's it. That's literally it. Unless you want to do something drastic. And, and really, you missed that with Butler and Paul George being moved. I mean, those were... You know the outside chances for trades, but yeah, it's Carmelo. It's probably Wade. It's it's one of those guys. It's another veteran that might get bought out as well. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Now I, I do want to circle back to another team in the East that is kind of running it back, and that's the Raptors. They bring back Ibaka and Lowry. Lowry getting a hundred million dollars on a three-year deal. It's a lot of money for him. Ibaka getting a lot as well. But I don't know if is, is this team gonna get past where they are i mean i I like i like (laughs) i like lowry but i don't know that these deals are going to make them better any more or less of a contender no and if you're lowry and ibaka i mean was that your first choice did did you want to go back i mean for lowry did he want to maybe go to a team like the spurs did he want to go maybe to minnesota i mean milwaukee there was talk about lowry going to minnesota but then they got teed so I don't know. They're not that good. No. I mean, it's a team that was good last year. I mean, they got P.J. Tucker, who now they don't have anymore. I just don't know what they have 
that will scare you if you're the East, an Eastern Conference team. I, I think it's clear that it's Boston and Cleveland as the top two teams in no particular order, and then everybody else just fighting for scraps. Yeah, I think maybe the Wizards could make a push, but that's yeah, about it. That's I don't about know. it. They lose Otto Porter and they don't fill his spot. I mean, what do they do? Yeah, well, that's that's true. Also, I do I do think the the leaps and bounds of Bradley Beal's game is going should push that team. They, they screwed themselves with the Mahimi contract. You gave them nothing and ate up all their cap space. But that's yeah. another issue entirely. I think the Raptors didn't have a lot of options. Just figured, hey, we'll run it back. We'll stay competitive. Ibaka. And Lowry, to some extent, just took uh, a, a payday. But then you have Minnesota, who Thibodeau, for whatever reason, you know, did not like Rubio in his system. You know, they get Jimmy Butler, which we broke down the last on on this show last week. But getting Teague, whether or not you think he's better than Rubio, Thibodeau thinks he can fit into that system. There's a lot to like about the Timberwolves next season. I don't want to anoint them as as uh, contenders of any sorts yet, but it's realistic to think, Brandon, that this is a five or six seed in the West. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're nasty. You look at what they have with Teague, Wiggins, Butler, Towns, and Jang. I mean, those five guys, that's a really good starting five. And Rubio was a guy that came on towards the end of last year. I actually like him a lot, but I also like Teague a lot. I think he helps you out. He can shoot better than Rubio. He's a guy that is not as good of a passer, but it just seems like he's better offensively. And defensively, I don't know what Teague will give you that Rubio didn't, but you have Wiggins, you have Towns. That Butler trade was out of this world. <laughs> I mean, I don't really think they gave up that much. I liked it at the time because I thought that Chicago got a couple of good pieces, but frankly, Chris Dunn's nothing special yet. Zach Levine's coming off a torn ACL. You have no idea what he's going to be. And they ended up drafting Laurie Markinen, who could be terrible. Yeah. So that trade might be terrible for them. So I love it for Minnesota, and it's another team that you throw into the Western Conference that you, in a typical year, <laughs> you'd say the Timberwolves are probably a three or four seed. I know, right? But you don't know. Well, and and I'm looking at you know Rubio on the Jazz. They they lose Hayward, but they're gonna you know stay competitive. Is it possible the Lakers are gonna be the worst team in the West next year? Is that no. in play? No, I think you have Sacramento. I, I think it'll be bad. I, I don't know, Phoenix though. It'll be really bad. Phoenix, I'm with you, but Sacramento, it's the same thing with the Clippers. You don't want to just say same old Clippers. The Kings have actually made some good moves in the draft and in the offseason. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, no, I, know they get, I know they get bashed a lot, but George Hill, not a terrible player. Randolph, I mean, Randolph's best years are behind him, but they didn't overpay. They get a veteran guy, and you need guys like that in the locker room to help the young guys come along, so... I've liked what they've done. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but them or the Lakers, I don't know. I mean, I'm just surprised that, you know, with the Lakers and some of the moves they've made, it shows you how competitive that West is. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what we haven't even talked about? We haven't talked about the fact that Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins are on the same team. Yeah. Like, people seem to forget that. And that team could be pretty good as well. Yeah, but, you know, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that now, actually. Drew Holiday signs over, over $100 million. They don't have depth on that team. And no. and not only do they not have depth, they have maybe the two best big skill-wise in the game. But when your big two are basically the same type of player, same area of the court, and you have nothing in one area and, and wings or guards, it doesn't really matter how good they are. I mean, at this point, the way the league is going especially, I think you know they had to overpay Holiday because they just had nothing else. I. I don't know. I mean, in most years, they're they're a playoff team, but 
It wouldn't surprise me if they missed it again this year. Yeah, and then what do they do? Do they trade DeMarcus Cousins and see what they could get for him? Because that's a possibility as well. If you know you're going to be that bad, maybe they go ahead and they trade DeMarcus Cousins to a team like Boston who might need a center, and things can change. I mean, all of a sudden, Danny Ainge looks brilliant because he gets DeMarcus Cousins, and he's been holding on to these picks for a while, mm-hmm. and finally he gives up one of those picks to get a guy in DeMarcus Cousins, and then imagine Boston with Cousins. Yeah, Is wow. that team going to win the Eastern Conference? I think so. Or how about a team like, I don't know, Washington? Yeah. With John Wall, who played with him, and obviously they're they're really tight there. So I don't know. If I'm the Pelicans, though, and I'm trying to contend, I'm trying to trade for every shooter available at the deadline. Just give me something, which is why at the uh, market for J.J. Redick, I was surprised the Pelicans weren't bigger uh, suitors for him. They may have been. I don't know the inside track of that, Brandon. But he goes to the Sixers on a one-year deal for $23 million. Um, A team like the Pelicans, a lot of teams could use shooting. The deal was confusing to me from the Sixers' standpoint. If J.J., it's great. You get one year, $20 million. You could be a marksman for hire, a freelancer. But I don't know. I I would try to lock down a guy like that for this young team that I know everyone's drinking that Sixer Kool-Aid and it looks good, but... They haven't played together yet, and you're going to need shooters on this team if you're going to succeed. So you think they should have given him a longer contract? I would have given him at least three years. I would have. Uh, Especially that team. Now, I understand the one-year deal in theory, but we have not seen these guys play together. Yeah, you don't really know what they're going to be health-wise. I hate these teams that all of a sudden think they're great, even though we haven't even seen some of their players actually on the court. I mean, we have no idea what Embiid's going to give you. We have no idea what Simmons is going to give you. I mean, Sarge completely fell off the face of the earth towards the end of last year. I mean, he was shooting 5 of 18, it seemed like, every single game. He admitted he was exhausted, but, I mean, can he hold it together for 82 games? Reddick slides in perfectly as that guy that can be the two-guard. I think Covington's really good as well. So you have a really good starting five, and I do agree with you. I think it would have been nice to have that veteran presence in Reddick for a couple more years because now you bring him in there for just one year, and they're not going to be a team that competes for the title this year. So mm-hmm. what's the purpose of bringing him in for just one year? Is it just to mentor those guys and be a placeholder for a two-guard that you think you're going to have? Or is it maybe you have him for one year to see what you get from him and then maybe you give him a longer contract next year? Right. I just think he's going to be gone because there'll be a team that needs a shooter. You know, At some point, there always is. So. I don't know that he re-ups. That's the risk. You know, in one year, and he's free to just go if it doesn't work out or if it's not going uh, as quickly along as he would like. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Well, Brandon Marcus, before I let you go, we covered a lot of free agent news. Any, anything else out there? Any other deals or, or players still out there that you know, you're looking at and kind of intrigued by? Uh, I brought him up a couple times already, but Otto Porter. That's yeah. a guy that apparently was offered the max by Brooklyn, I believe it was. So if he goes, what do the Wizards do? Because I think he's a big part of what they do. I think Kelly Oubre will fit in nicely as a replacement, um, but that does hurt your depth. I mean, Wall, Beal, Oubre, Markeith, Morris, Gortat, that's a pretty good starting five. But if you lose Porter, I mean, can he be somewhere that can actually help him? I mean, the Nets, doesn't really, the Nets don't really do it for me, obviously, for many reasons. But mm-hmm. also Michael Kid Gilchrist, I think is he is he a free agent? I think it might be out there. If it's not Kid Gilchrist, it's uh, 
the race of the same exact Pope? player. It's not Kid uh, Gilchrist. Pope for the Pistons? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Contavious Caldwell Pope. There, I, I saw KCP, and then for mm-hmm. some reason I thought it was MKG. <laughs> MKG yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Caldwell Pope that could be a nice sign for somebody too. And that he might be a cheap sign because he's waiting so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rudy Gay's still out there. That's another one to kind of look at what where he yeah, goes. Yeah, but how many games are you going to get from him? Right, and, and I feel like I've had this talk with multiple people, but he's overrated in one sense and underrated in another. If you're going to bring him off the bench, I love it. I'm all about it. I just don't like him as put him in as your starting small forward. I just don't think that's going to work out. We'll see. With the market kind of dried up, there's not a lot of teams with cap space, so you might be able to get some of these guys still out there on cheaper deals. Um, yeah, you also have Rondo, Derek Rose, a couple mm-hmm. of those guys that are still Ro- looking for homes. Rose and those to the are Clippers. Two point guards. Yeah. <laughs> Rose to the Clippers, maybe. They're, oh, they're, they're talking I, I don't about... know if I like that or hate it. No, I, I, I still want to decide on that. We'll see if it even happens before we can break down how it would fit basketball wise. Paul Millsap's deal to the Nuggets that we didn't mention, three years for 90. I, I like his game and what he can do with Joe Kitch and some of those young guys. Dude, that's another good team. Yeah. (laughs) Are going to be fun to watch? Yeah. You know what? And it's crazy because they were a team that figured it out late. You wonder what they're going to look like when, you know, when the season gets, you know, when they get a full season under their belts. Um, Yeah. yeah. They're not playing Nurkic over Jokic and just keeping Jokic at 15 minutes per game when he's a guy that's a walking triple double. I know. It's insane. Well, and I want to end with this. I want to give a shout out to. It looks like the last, uh, you know, the last games have been played for Chris Bosh. They bought him yeah. off the books. It's a really sad situation. I was never his biggest fan, but you know, you never want to see a player's career shut, cut short due to injury. The Heat have said they're they're going to probably retire his jersey at some point. No, no Heat player will wear number one uh, again. It's a, a sad ending to a pretty good career, to a very good career, I should say. But it does offer the Heat some flexibility that they didn't have. You know, they made that run last year. They they were competitive, finishing the season thirty and eleven, and they have all this cap space left. So I mean, they re-signed waiters. I know they didn't get Hayward, but the Heat could be players as well. Yeah, and that's a team that is going to be good this year. I mean, I think they just barely missed the playoffs, but that's a good team. I mean, Eric Spolstra did a heck of a job there. I mean, waiters is good. Drogic is good. Whiteside's good. Josh Richardson is good. Tyler Johnson's good. They have a lot of good players there. They would have been really good with Hayward. I think he would have been perfect fit there. But they're going to be players next year. I mean, that that offseason in 2018 is going to be gnarly. And they'll be a team to watch out for. Oh, yeah. They definitely will. And in the East, you know, it only takes a little bit and you're, you're on the playoff radar. <laughs> Unlike yeah, the West. It's true. So, all right. Brandon Marcus, this was fun. Thanks for coming on the show. And yeah, this is, uh, I think this is the first time we've chatted since uh, you had me on your show, Mostly Banner. So thanks again for that. And uh, I'm looking forward to what you guys uh, have got lined up the rest of the summer. Of course. I appreciate it, man. It's always good chatting some hoops with you. And Michael doesn't love chatting hoops. So I got a chance to come on here and a guy that knows his b-ball knowledge yeah. and Mitch Michaels and we can spit some hoops for a while. It's always a good time. Well, he knew 80s Lakers, you know. Yeah, that's, well, see, exactly. That's kind of thing. He's an yeah. old man. So, you know, yeah. He knows the old hoops. Yeah. When it comes to the current hoops, he's all about the NFL and college sports. So that's why I come to you for my NBA uh, chit-chat, Mitch Michaels. All right. Well, I do appreciate that. And Brandon, thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Of course. All right, that's it. That's the show. Thanks to both guests on today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect, Crystal Rich, 
from Good Day Sacramento and Brandon Marcus for breaking down the NBA free agent action. Big thanks to both of them. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beats, Brian Nelson for the logos, and thanks to each and every one of you out there for listening. The Money Mitch Effect can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It pops right in. You probably need to spell out money, though. I don't think I'm on a uh, emoji or dollar sign basis yet with the, uh, the beautiful podcast providers that I've mentioned, but someday we'll get there. But big thanks to everybody out there for listening as well. Next week is going to bring us some more Wimbledon talk as we talk about who's going to maybe make runs towards the finals. No huge upsets yet, although Stan Rolinka is already out. And Carolina Pliskova, I guess you could say there are upsets, but the women's side is usually pretty unpredictable. Got some more offseason notes to talk about as well as hockey. Big shout out to Connor McDavid, now the highest paid player in the NHL. Only $12.5 million a year, but you know, not NBA money. What is? But big shout outs to young Connor. That's the show. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep enjoying sports. And this was The Money Mitch Effect.